Although edited for television, tonight's thriller contains scenes of suspense and violence which may be unsuitable for young viewers. Parental discretion is advised. State of the art Japanese animation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Otaku Host Club. I'm your confidence man, Jeff, and I'm joined by my esteemed cohorts. I'm going to swindle your pickpockets, and I'm Amelia. I'm Dan. I just finished my two cheeseburgers, and I, too, have great confidence in Jeffrey and Amelia. Mm. See, Thank Matt, you. it's not always healthy food. <laughs> Yeah, yes yesterday so yesterday we did a guest appearance with Otaku Melancholy discussing Berserk, which yeah. was fucking great. And oh my God. we had a nice spread of scores from seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten out of ten, and my one thousand out of ten. Mm-hmm. And really we, evens the the playing field there. Yeah. You can yeah. Um but one thing that got brought up that I I legitimately want to talk about, and I've been waiting for this, but I did not want to force Otaku Melancholy into a tangent because they're not nearly as rambling and tangential as we are. Um, I don't want to cramp their style. But I want to talk about intermittent fasting. because And, and the reason for this is because... I am technically overweight, and I never think about Yo, this. Bitch, me too. <laughs> yeah, I never think about it because I don't weigh myself, and yeah, no. I don't, I don't like look at myself in the mirror with any like. You I like know. actively run away from scales. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just don't really think about it. Like I look at my body, and I'm like, all right, I have been a like varying degrees of chubby tall guy for my entire life. That is not likely to change. If I cared enough to change that, I would really focus on my diet and exercise more. And I exercise, you know, I go to the gym every day. I exercise Mm -hmm. a good amount Mm -hmm. and I've lost weight and gained muscle tone for this. But in a broad sense, this is not a priority in my life. You know, this is obvious to me. I have other things I'd rather use my time and mental energy for. Uh, than worrying about my weight and my my like physical appearance to such a degree. Oh, what's that like? But <laughs> uh, what is it like? Oh, uh, well, I don't. Uh, it's great, I guess. I just don't really think much about it. I'm I'm too focused on punk and anime. Damn. Um, but I, <coughs> my dad, every once in a while, brings up the fact that I'm technically overweight and that I could stand to lose, you know, ten or twenty pounds or whatever. And I, so that sometimes makes me think, well, maybe I should try intermittent fasting because that's the thing that people do. I see it on the internet all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know that much about it. It's hard for me to fathom because I've, I've kind of taken my diet in the opposite direction instead of not eating for long periods of time. Now I eat 
constantly, I just eat small things, you know, like I have a granola bar. A couple hours later, I have fruit, some fruit snacks. A couple hours later, I have, you know, a little thing of applesauce. You know, I'm like constantly eating small, mm. you know, have, have a piece of fruit, have some dried fruit, you know, have a, have a, a handful of nuts. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of understand that this is supposed to be the healthy way of doing things. Does that mean that intermittent fasting is not the healthy way of doing things? I don't know. I don't really know anything about it. But Jeffrey knows a little bit about it because yeah. he's been doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did yeah, how did you come we... to intermittent fasting? Um, well, back, okay, so about four or five years ago, I was having a lot of issues uh, with, like, having to run in the bathroom, like, three, sometimes two or three times a day. And it was, like, getting bad. It was almost every day. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? So I, um, you know, I wanted to eliminate what it could be, mm-hmm. what food products I was eating. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I guess I should stop eating and then just start introducing new things into my diet. And that's when I was like, well, I did some research and found that intermittent fasting was a thing. And I, I mean, it's always been a thing. I know it's been passed down in different religions for a long time. But um, for this reason only, it was just to like figure out what the hell was making me go to the bathroom so much? Um, but then, yeah, I was like, oh, shit, there's actual benefits to this. There um, helps your immune system, apparently. Like, you can, like, restart it. You're basically, mm. you're basically causing stress to your body. Like, you know how, like, they do the polar bear plunge? Mm-hmm. And then like, you shock your body with, like, that's supposed, that can help you uh, with your brain and, like, it creates... Um, a protein in your brain or something. I, I don't take me on by don't take my word on this completely. But um, yeah, guys, Jeffrey these, is not a nutritional expert. No, but he's it, just a means. googler. One of our <laughs> one of our listeners is a nutritional expert. Christella got oh. her degree in nutrition. So I, Christella, help me out, girl. Yeah, I uh, I got acid reflux real bad since I was eighteen. <laughs> I can't eat anything. Yeah, there was this I, guy. I I there was this guy to that heard onto this episode to talk about this. Huh? Yeah, that would be great. Um, should we get into the news? Jesus we'll Christ, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big news. Big news. Sony acquires Crunchyroll for one point seven five billion dollars. That's a lot, a lot of, of dollars. Money. It is a lot of dollars. A lot of bucks. A lot of doll hairs. You know. So I, I am aware that this happened, but I'm uh, not sure what all the cultural implications are. Can you guys explain it to me? Oh, uh, so Funimation sucks. Um, <laughs> their app sucks. Their website sucks. Anything that they put on their streaming service, you cannot access because they just do not update it. They don't. They don't take care of their subscribers, mm. and uh, and Sony is known for censoring. So. You know, not the best news <laughs> uh, out there. Um, yeah. I'm just going to read a little bit from this from this Polygon article. Uh, it's a quote, me quoting here. We are proud to bring Crunchyroll into the Sony family. Mm-hmm. Though Funimation and our terrific partners at Aniplex and Sony Music Entertain- Entertainment Japan, we have a deep understanding of this global art form and are well positioned to deliver outstanding content to audiences around the world. 
Together with Crunchyroll, we will create the best possible experience for our fans and greater opportunity for creators, producers, and publishers in Japan and elsewhere. Funimation has been doing this for, for over 25 years, and we look forward to continuing to leverage the power of creativity and technology to succeed in this rapidly growing segment of entertainment. And uh, this, just uh, to clarify, Aniplex is owned by Sony, right? Mm. Yes. So, so this is why uh, all of the Aniplex stuff is on Funimation. So is, is this the creation of an anime monopoly? Yes. I wholeheartedly believe that that is what's going to happen. How, like what, what's mm. the benefit of keeping to competing streaming services, mm. you know, like in like financially from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. from like a, um, user standpoint, like, it would be nice if they kept them separate and offered like a joint, um, like a like a package um, with a like lower price or you know just like total package price um, for both streaming services and left them alone because uh, Funimation is so bad. Um, but I doubt that that's going to happen. You know, I think now now is when they are negotiating the things that are. Uh, what do we do with Crunchyroll and the Crunchyroll user base? And what do we do with Funimation? Do we merge them? Do we keep them separate? Because Crunchyroll has a lot of um, uh, obviously original anime that they that they produce, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of original content, especially on their YouTube channel. You know, mm-hmm. um, true. And it's uh, so, uh, it's 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 very unnerving. I feel like. As anime fans, I mean, who really wants one one spot to go to get all of your anime? You know, it's not like we go to one spot to get all of our food, you know. Well, HBO Max has already started to, they started streaming stuff from Crunchyroll because you're Time Warner. Also, so you Crunchyroll, can... you're not supposed to get back with your ex, okay? That just <laughs> never works out right. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, so it, people have been predicting this for a while. Well, yeah, because uh, AT and T was supposed to buy it first for one point five billion. That's what they were in talks with, and then Sony bought it for one point seven five. Huh? What are you going to say, Dan? So, yeah, I, I remember that HBO Max has started dipping their toe into anime. They somehow I thought that they were doing Adult Swim stuff. Um, are they also streaming Crunchyroll properties? Yeah, if you go if you get on there now and you like scroll all the huh. way down on their menu, you, you can watch things that exclusive well not exclusives, but things that are like their most popular titles. You can stream from their app. Mm-hmm. So the most so regardless of Crunchyroll's um, ownership of the title, the most popular things on Crunchyroll, which ostensibly are like the most popular things, period, have found their way onto HBO Max as well. Okay, yeah. interesting. Then Amazon Prime, and ne- you know, Netflix has its own anime going down, which we'll, you know, we're going to talk about one of them. And Amazon Prime also has its own, um, you know, the the titles that it distributes that seem to be separate from what Crunchyroll is working with. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it won't remember? be a, a total. It won't be a total monopoly because they're still going to have Netflix and Amazon to compete with. It's going to yeah, be an, how, an how oligopoly. Many, yeah, but like, how many anime do you actually go to Amazon Prime for and Netflix for that? that you actually like pay for like i don't pay for amazon prime i'm not about to go pay for amazon prime just to watch vinland saga i'm not well a, like, i think it's worth your money to be honest 70 dollars okay, for the year not, for amazon prime well, okay just, maybe it's not worth watch, 70 dollars a year like i would much rather just <laughs> buy the dvd when it came out or the blu-ray you know yeah, what i mean truth like there's no point in in anime fans going to all of these different sites um but with that said like uh <laughs> i don't want like Crunchyroll and Funimation have always been like the two main streaming services specifically for anime. It's not like like you can watch other shit on Amazon Prime and Netflix and stuff like that. So like yeah, it's understandable that people have Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime, but Crunchyroll and Funimation mm. were exclusively anime. Mm. And to only have one of those properties have it, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Do you all remember there was a streaming service, I can't remember what it was called, but it was in like 2004 or 2005 that was on demand. And it was like anime, it had anime in the title, I remember that. I remember thinking this this was kind of like the first time I saw streaming anime anywhere. And I don't know, I'm just trying to like see how it's progressed over the years, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Crunchyroll was soon after that, and it still felt still very much like fan driven. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Crunchyroll grew out of Databeo, right? I'm not, out of the, I'm the not, fan sub play people. Yeah, that 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 was the impression I was under. I might hmm. be wrong, but I that that is always hmm. given in my eyes. Crunchyroll has the the tent of you know, by the fans for the fans. And maybe that's not mm-hmm. accurate anymore, but they're always going to carry that. And from my perspective, um, at least as, as long as I still believe they grew out of Databeo, maybe I'm wrong in that. Um, but I, you know, I remember downloading Naruto off Databeo, Databeo, however you pronounce it when I was in college and they, they were working mm-hmm. hard, they were doing good shit. So I'm in a broad sense, I'm, I'm happy for their success, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right because they they were the ones that provided all the translations. So well, it was them. Weren't. It was them. Horrible subs and Anbu. Mm. Those were the three that were doing Naruto. Well, I got I got mine off Databeo. Gotcha. I did I did all of mine in care. Whatever torrent would, was was going to be fastest. <laughs> Word. <Fair. laughs> would you guys want to pay? Yeah, like, would you pay? You know, twenty dollars. <laughs> To get well, as much anime as possible instead of paying for like three different subscriptions, four or five um, different subscriptions. I mean, just for anime alone, I'm already paying like eighteen dollars. Mm. Is that Verve? So, uh, well, that yeah, that's Verve and Funimation. Funimation's not. It's not really breaking the bank. It's not breaking the bank. No, but if I also had to pay for Hulu and Netflix. That would Theory. be breaking the bank. Um, uh, I don't pay, I, I, I mooch off that of those ones. But um, if it, it, the thing about it is, is I'm not confident that whatever streaming service, uh, it depends on if they're going to keep Funimation. If they keep Funimation, they move the entire libraries over to Funimation. Like, I. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am no longer it, watching anime. <laughs> li- like I no longer. <laughs> this is the thing it's not about it's not about paying for it because uh i would pay for it but it's the like how terrible your service is Mm. like if you have all of anime on this one streaming service and it's awful and it does it buffers and like it doesn't load and you know the driving factor of funimation is one that it has dubs and two that you can download the episodes so that you're not using your data when you're watching it and if you can't do either like if you can't watch the actual anime and if you can't download them then what's the point of having the service (laughs) which makes me so infuriated because every uh, like half of the anime that i'm watching for seasonals is on Funimation. That's where it gets licensed. Mm. Because Crunchyroll mm. is now working on webtoons and all these originals instead of like acquiring licenses for seasonal shows. Um, mm. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. So do you think they are aware that Funimation sucks? Like, do you think Funimation looks at their own product and is like, man, this kind of sucks? You know? But I, I ask that in the sense that, like, yeah, if the assumption is that they're going to consolidate either they're either it all goes to Funimation or it all goes to Crunchyroll. Um, or they just create a new third party that, you know, adapts from the foundation of one of these two. But if everyone on the inside realizes that Funimation is a clunky, um, streaming service like it has a clunky technicals in comparison to Crunchyroll, then you'd think they they would just put it all under Crunchyroll and let Crunchyroll's uh, UI carry carry the weight. You would think. You would yeah, hope. maybe you would yeah, only hope. Is there any speculation that that's why they went to the trouble of acquiring Crunchyroll? Because they were like, well, it's easier for us to just buy Crunchyroll and put all the Funimation stuff under this. UI, you know, that already works rather than Mm. take the time and energy to try to fix Funimation. My personal thought about it, and this is, I have not read anything. This is just what I think about it. Um, I think Crunchyroll uh, had acquired too many properties with their webtoons. um, Mm. And I feel, I think that they needed help getting out of debt. And that's why they were selling because they've, they sold, they sold their company like four years ago to Elation. And it turned into Elation. And they kept the Crunchyroll property name so that, you know, it was still recognizable mm-hmm. for the fans. But um, I think that they just keep selling the company because they keep overdrawing their account. <laughs> mm. huh. And uh, And uh, Sony is, you know, a big, a, big, a big sugar daddy that can help them out of debt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, true enough. He's the, he's the big, you know, the biggest sugar daddy, so... That little Sony, Sony daddy, like pay for all my stuff for me, you know, get me a new handbag and, uh, you know, a new, a new UI and some more, um, fans, you know, mm-hmm. let's just put them all together. Well, we know it's not going anywhere. Like anime is not going anywhere anytime soon, but it mm-hmm. makes me wonder like what would happen if like it just collapsed, like or the, <laughs> the whole anime industry just collapsed or like burst. Oh. Uh, what would happen, you know? Would Japan just sink into the ocean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> isn't I don't don't quote me on this. But I'm asking. Isn't is the anime their number one export? Somebody fact fish. check me. Somebody tell me what their number one export is. I I would love to know.
worldstopexports.com. According to them, it's cars. Cars, okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. Automobile, automobile I've literally, parts. I've literally right. only had Japanese cars. <laughs> hmm. That makes sense. Maybe you're thinking of like, in terms of like cultural and art. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in, in terms of cultural export, yeah, anime definitely trumps anything else that Japan has put into the world. Do either of you guys use uh, what? What service do do you guys use? Like, do you have the I same s- issues with Funimation that I and lots of other people do? Or I haven't tried Funimation yet. I know that Funimation has the largest dub selection mm-hmm. at any streaming service. Yeah. I know that's why some people prefer that over Crunchyroll. Mm-hmm. But I haven't. I've haven't bit, bit the bullet with trying it yet. They have some exclusives though that look interesting. Uh, they have Hajime no Ippo, I believe. Oh, mm. nice! So I would I would watch that if when the time comes, I would probably stream it from there. Or, um, what about you, Dan? So I I pay for Crunchyroll, and I pay for Netflix. And I piggyback off Valerie's Hulu account, and I piggyback off my parents' Amazon Prime account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got Tubi, which is free anyway. So I am I am all set in the world of streaming from from my perspective. Mm, yeah, you've never tried Funimation. No. Okay. I'm not convinced that Funimation has things that I cannot otherwise get that. I'm things that I'm looking for that I otherwise cannot get, you know, I mean, there's plenty of anime in this world that is not streaming on these major platforms. Like to watch Shida no Joe or the original Gundams or anything like that, you know, had to um, go through the, the depths of put lockers to find this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like Funimation has any of these things, you know? So, mm-hmm. Oh, and I got, I got high dive. Do I pay for High Dive? Maybe I do. You, yeah. If you pay for Crunchyroll and you pay for High Dive, please just consolidate to Verve. Please. Yeah, I got High Dive please. specifically to watch Legends of the Galactic Heroes, and I basically continue to pay for it because I believe I yeah. will watch this again at a later date. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. Verve is it, it includes the High Dive library. Yeah, I I realized that getting Verve would be the wise thing to do. I don't have any reason why I haven't done this yet. It's procrastinating. I'll just I'll just remind you every once in a while. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You know, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) Yeah, did you guys see the um, latest My Hero Academia promo? No. no, didn't know there was a new one. There's a new season or, or season uh, five, right? Comes out next next season, next uh, yeah in January with the next season. Okay, so Dan, if you were if you were a seasonal anime watcher, you would probably have Funimation because a lot of the seasonal animes that are airing right now, simulcasting, are licensed by um, Funimation, and that's the only place that you can watch it, other than like Hulu. Oh. But I got the Hulu. Yes. But some of them are not on Hulu. Oh, word, word, word. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I pay for Funimation because I just, uh, I torrented so much anime. I feel bad that I didn't pay for it. So I pay for it all now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't feel bad about torrenting this kind of stuff. Although I guess I never, it's been a long time since I've torrented something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is getting into bootlegs, which we'll talk about because of the great pretender. Yeah, but I want to watch this. I want to watch this My Hero Academia trailer real quick. This is this is season five official trailer two. Wait, if that's you're what you're it, that's I what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Damn, this looks sick. Oh my god! <laughs> Dan yells into the mic. Definitely getting me pumped watching this. <sighs> but I've I've also I've I started to read this arc and I've basically stopped where this promo stops. <laughs> they kind of show the first, you know Wait, I'm trying to find it. A few volumes. Yeah, that that trailer looks fucking cool. Which one? Official season official trailer two or trailer two. Trailer two because it's okay. it, the trailer is just all fight scenes. Hmm. Yeah, uh, March March twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. I think it looks great. Far away. Hmm. I'm not a fan of how they left the fourth season. So, really, hot take. Yeah. You didn't you didn't like those last couple episodes with Endeavor? Mm, nope. Oh, why not? Didn't uh, just like at what point is this going to end? Like. Doesn't need to continue. They've already they already in like the first two seasons beat the big bad, the big bad of that like, and then you know now it's just I don't know. I feel like it's there's too much there's too much my hero and it just needs to end. <laughs> Damn. So you feel what? like this is this is like a shonen jump death? Uh, yeah, like, like they're just, just, feel like it's just. It's like um. I can't say that I don't enjoy all of Naruto, but did it need to continue as long as it did? You know what I mean? I yeah, I, I think it definitely suffered for uh, being forced to continue you know, yeah. way past its life expectancy. I don't think My Hero Academia is really suffering from that, though, in my opinion. Hmm. I thought, I I'm, thought not, I, I'm not a, I'm not a super fan. I'm not I'm not here for the hero stuff. I'm not here for the high school hero class situation. Mm. Like Word. I don't know. You know, it just it's it's maybe I'm just a hater today. Well, that's fair. <laughs> maybe I, it's just a weird day today and I'm just hating on some my hero academia. I mean, like I enjoy like it's entertaining. I watched it. I watch it every season it, it airs, but I even uh watched the movie when it came out. Uh but you know, it's just like can can we wrap it up now? Yeah, I, I like this trailer because it's nothing but fight scenes and it's got that big epic score, you know, that like big guitar solo. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think it, it looks is awesome. Is it doing anything different, though? I don't need it to do anything different. I want to see superheroes fighting each other to a big epic soundtrack. I'm not, I think maybe that's, that's my disconnect is I'm not into the superhero stuff. It's fair. Checked out. I mean, people got Marvel fatigue. I got Marvel fatigue. Fuck yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ! But but people still go to. They still love it. They eat it up. 
Yes. Yes, so, they do. Yeah, we're on the verge of getting Star Wars fatigue, right? Because there's like what six new movies coming out with all from all angles of Star Wars. Yep. So straight up Star yeah. Wars orgy over here. <laughs> Though I would say the Mandalorian this final season was fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I got to watch that shit. I got to watch that shit. Um. Are you looking forward to Chainsaw Man? Hell the fuck yeah. Oh my god, sorry. I so. literally scared Pearl with that. <laughs> Pearl jumped out of her skin. She was sleeping peacefully on her cat tree and I just woke her the fuck up. <laughs> Hell the fuck yes. I'm so excited for Chainsaw Man. I feel like um, it's one of those manga that's like on my list of manga to read. And I was waiting for the anime because I've heard so many good things about Chainsaw Man. Um, and now that the anime has been announced i'm like do you want more? do i read the manga or do i just wait for the anime hmm. i do really enjoy like the series that i have read the manga for like the promised neverland and kaguya sama and dr stone um but uh i don't know i, I haven't i haven't haven't decided yet hmm. if i want to read the manga first uh, it should be called dora hidoro with a chainsaw instead hell of a- yeah then I'm going to love it, okay? Because I feel like Dora Doro is like the, my, my top anime of, la- of this year, last year, whatever mm. you want to say. And it's MAPPA, so. Hell, yeah. I'm saying MAPPA is my well. favorite now, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also looking forward to Chainsaw Man. This got recommended to me um, by my guy Kevin. and He's a big fan of the manga. So it's been been lurking in the back of my mind for for you know quite a while now so um, i never got around to actually reading the manga but i remember oh kevin says it's really good i'm gonna watch the anime version it's your of dealer it for sure. my dealer he doesn't have a dealer? dealer he's straight edge what are you talking you said about your man you said your guy yeah oh. yeah my friend yeah he's <laughs> oh <friend>. his guy <laughs> <laughs> what you guy got for me dan oh i don't know he's my he's my friend sorry <laughs> i'll say friend next time <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. No, same my guy. I've been, watch- I've been watching too much high maintenance on HBO. Um, what does? What's the other news, Jeffrey? Uh, I am excited about this Lupin movie. This fully CG Lupin movie comes out next month, I believe. Hmm. And I, I'm tempted to say this might be the thing I want to review, but um. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it's one of the reasons why. So Castle Cagliostro was one of the reasons why, subconsciously, I've loved Fiat's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since I've saw it. <laughs> and this is why I just purchased a Fiat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not yellow, though. And I was looking it up. They, uh, Japan had a, had a Lupin variant, like special deluxe edition Fiat 500. Why don't you get your Fiat Itasha in Lupin? I was thinking about that. Hell like, yeah. You just need to fucking get some bloop on stickers. Up Hell yeah. <laughs> That's like the one thing that like, I feel like, um, is like sticks out in my mind about you is how much you like Lupin. Yeah. I don't really know I'm anyone like, else. Jeffrey is Lupin. Lupin. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good. The animation looks really good. It doesn't look. Uh... What's me? What's my, what's my, um, my friend title. Lover of trash. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Fucking raccoon over here. (laughs) Um, Which is actually kind of a good segue into Great Pretender. 
again, guys, we are reviewing a Netflix show. You know, yes. we can't get enough of these Netflix shows. They're just so easy to watch. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm gonna prefer to think of this as a Studio Wit show. Ooh, Studio Wit. Uh huh. We were as we di- as we recently discussed, Attack on Titan was the first Studio Wit endeavor. Okay, and but let's preface that with they they came from from production IG, so they had they had some some tools under right. their belt. Yeah, so that's true. Let's but not forget that one. They're they're in a relative sense they're still a pretty new studio. Yeah, right? new. A, they're they're a newer studio, and this is one of their you know first original works. I gotta say, is it their, no, is it their first original work? Period. It might be. Yes, it is. No, we actually, um, they also did, uh, the first one was a 2015, The Rolling Girls, The Roller Derby Show. Oh, not on my radar. Um, mm. And uh, Cabernary of the Iron Fortress, they oh, also yeah, did. That, that was right. an original. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. That was um, on my radar, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the um, their only original work of 2020. We can say that. <laughs> Word. <laughs> they only made two. But <laughs> they're wait, still pretty OL, young, though. Wait, OL, OLM isn't that the same company that did Berserk that we talked about yesterday with Otaku Melancholy? Yes. They also mm. so then um, Girl Gaku Say Girl Square Gakuin is um, another anime that they animated this year, but co-animated with OLM. Oh, interesting. It doesn't have any like links. I can't like go look at it, but yeah. Sounds like OLM is more of a like a tidying up studio. Mm. They don't mm. handle like the full brunt of the force of like animation right. production. Mm. Maybe they're doing like in betweens or you know CG stuff. Who knows? Mm. Paintings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they only do backgrounds. <laughs> So yeah, I had never heard of The Great Pretender. This was not on my radar prior to us deciding to review it. And then Cristala told me that it was really good, that she really enjoyed it. Actually, Dan, it's not called The Great Pretender. It's just called Great Pretender. And I feel like that is an extreme talking point because there is not one specific uh, protagonist in this show. They are all great pretenders. That's true. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to actually at someone today. Yeah, ag- dude, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd spend enough time actuallying at people that lay it on me, man. Let me get my blue light blocker so I can push my glasses up. <laughs> All right, there you go. There you there go. go. Actually. <laughs> um, so this was kind of, I want to say you my choice. Glasses. Thanks. You, I do. don't, I, you I look don't, good. Thanks, guys. They're pink. That's why they look good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to um, keep them on for the rest of the episode. Just saying. Do it. I actually should have been wearing them because I've been editing for like eight hours, but whatever. Get that eye strain. I know. Continue. Um, Sorry. Off tangent. So would you guys say that I kind of pushed for this one? Yeah, bit? this was a yeah. Jeffrey choice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's definitely one that I feel like uh, is is one that I wanted to watch. I've heard a lot of great things about it um, from the people who have actually watched it. I feel like it kind of like flew under the radar a little bit. 
as far as Netflix shows go, but maybe that's because um, uh, Wit, I feel like it's like a prolific studio, but I feel like um, I didn't know that Wit did it until recently. Well, until Same. I watched it and there's literally like an advertisement on one of the airplanes for Wit Studio. And I was like, oh, bitch, okay. I see you. He's trying to do what MAPA does. I like it. <laughs> um, I was just, well, the only, the, this is one of those instances where I wanted to watch an anime because of how it just simply looked. Mm-hmm. I was just like, whoa, I don't care what it's about. It's got jazz and it looks, it looks fresh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 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 And then I realized I was looking at the uh, some of the some of the um, production staff, and I was like, "Why do I? Why am I so transfixed with the characters in this show?" And I was like, "Oh, looked into it, and it's got the same character designers as the Evangelion uh, production." Mm-hmm. And oh, I was like, "Fucking shit! Everyone looks like an Ava character." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just and like that slim, angular, you know, lines. Yeah, what's really cool about it is everyone has very distinct facial features. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, you know, anime blobs. Like, uh, uh, I hate to shit on Love Live because I love Love Live, but um, Love Live, all the girls look the same, you know? Mm. <laughs> Every character has a very distinct, like, unique character design that plays off of, like, their personality and, like, what they bring to the table. Um, for the series, there's a, a wide range of uh, representation in yes. Great Pretender as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, enjoy, enjoy that a lot. I also uh, love that it's a show that um, doesn't take place specifically in Japan. You know, it takes place all over the world. Yes, and I, really I feel cool. like I fucked up by watching it in Japanese. I really should have watched the dub. And that oh that, really? Yeah, I watched the dub as well. Oh, I, I watched the I watched the Japanese version. I thought it was really cool. Well, so the, the reason I the reason I say this is not because the Japanese version was lacking at all because it wasn't, but because I think it missed the full impact of the the way language plays out in this okay. show because mm-hmm. a lot of the show takes place in the USA and in England where everyone would be speaking English anyway. And there's a lot of scenes where, like, they talk about people's English, you know, people's accents in English. There's miscommunication because somebody speaks, you know, Japanese guy comes to America and he's like speaking Japanese when everybody mm-hmm. else speaks English. I don't speak Japanese. You are a scammer, right? No, I'm a trader. Oh, so. <laughs> if that wasn't enough, keep this Japanese candy. Totemo oishi. Where are we headed? Haneda Airport, and then to LA. Uh, this is a show that really, and, and to Studio Wit's credit, they've clearly learned from their experience with Vinland Saga that it really makes a difference when you can bring in all these languages in a more fluid and, and natural way. Because mm-hmm. there is, like, the Chinese characters speak Chinese, mm-hmm. the French characters speak French. There, there is the level of multilingualness that, um, yeah, like the show is, you know, extremely multilingual and they make the effort to have the, the dubs, you know, the voice acting to be in all these languages. 
I think it really makes the story that much better and, and has that much more impact and worldliness to it. It is a shame they did not do this in Vinland Saga, which also could have greatly benefited from this attention to detail with language. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm glad Studio Wit is figuring this out now, you know. What, what would have been different in Vinland Saga? Uh, when they were in England, there would be people speaking English versus people speaking um, Welsh versus people speaking you know, Danish, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are specific scenes where Thorfinn is interacting with people in England and everyone is speaking Japanese because it's anime. But in in story, they're speaking different languages and they can't communicate with each other. So they're, mm-hmm. they're like speaking, you know, the dubs are all in Japanese. So they're all um, speaking, you know, you hear as the, the viewer Japanese. But what they are saying is like, can you understand what this guy's saying? No, he must be Danish. I, I don't know what he's saying, mm-hmm. you know. They tried doing this in Tokyo Sinks. Yeah, very poorly. Yeah, they they yeah, did. It yeah, that's a good well, point. Nearly yeah, as well. Not mm-hmm. nearly as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched this also in in dub as well, English dub. And yeah, it help, really helps you distinguish your characters. Um, and this is a very uh, inter, uh, an international TV show, anime series. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything close to it except for Lupin. Which is why I think it's a good segue. Mm. Lupin, he's every series and sometimes every episode, he's somewhere new, somewhere different. Usually in Europe, sometimes in the United States. Mm. But he's not a Japanese character. Mm. He's based off a French, you know, a French character, fictional character. But um, but yeah, so I think we should do a review and then do spoilers after. Since it's still fresh, still okay. fairly new. Okay. Um, so, Great Pretender is broken down into a couple of different arcs. Um, each arc taking place in a different location. The first arc takes place in Los Angeles. Uh, the next one is in Paris. Am I correct? It's in France or it's in London. Yeah, it's like <coughs> starts in Nice, then in Paris, then in London. I think okay. it is. And then um, there's one in Malaysia, and then in the second- Singapore. Thank you, Singapore. Not Malaysia. Oh, oh my! Bad. Actually, so different sorry. country, right? Now. <laughs> so sorry. I'm sorry. I watched this one when we said we were going to, and not yesterday. Um, so my memory is a little less fresh, but. Um, yeah. So the first one takes place in Los Angeles, and they're trying to swindle a big uh, hot shot. First thing I got from this California crisis, this OVA series, it's a, uh, it's done in this sort of um, Aizen Suzuki style. Mm. A, he's a Japanese illustrator in the eighties, and he uses these like he breaks down colors and uh, shapes, and then it kind of outlines them. Kind of looks like vector art mm. in like Photoshop or uh, Illustrator rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's like the first thing I'm like, whoa, it's got me. It's got my soul. Because <laughs> I'm a huge fan of this artist. Um, but yeah, they're in Hollywood. And they uh, they must have used a lot of references for this, for the scene locations. Mm-hmm. 
Did it look realistic to you guys? Yeah, for sure. Pretty spot on. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Have I mean, any of you guys been to LA? Uh, yeah. I used to go every summer when I was younger. So my grandparents lived out there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, just wondering. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, been there through movies. <laughs> or anime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, on the one hand, the show is a little surreal in its art style, so it's hard to say that it's a realistic portrayal of the world around us. Um, but also, I yeah, a, I thought it was like r- remarkably on point for you know it captured the various feelings and atmospheres of each of these different locations, differentiated them enough, made them distinctive enough. Yeah, I thought that. It's realistic in that way. It captures the feeling in a realistic way. Yeah, it's very stylized. Yeah, like hyper stylized, almost in the point where it's it's uh, JoJo esque. Yeah, like, I was gonna say like Studio Trigger esque. You know, they're like creating mm-hmm. their own visual style. It's not exactly the same as, as either of those, but you know, they're striving to do something different, which I thought, which I mm-hmm. like, really appreciated, um, especially mm-hmm. with all the different locales that they that they frequent. Uh, so the so Edamora. Yeah, so the main character Edamora is um he's from a uh, broken family. His dad um was a lawyer and in the first is it the first episode? Is this a spoiler? I'm trying to not spoil. You can kind of dance around the uh, okay. you don't have to really spoil Okay. okay. Um, so his dad gets um, arrested for fraud at this company that he was working at with a couple of other um, employees. And um, it really like tears his family apart and his mom um, becomes ill and Edamora has to like visit her in the hospital. And you know, it's, it's classic like broken family. He's like trying to um, save face with his mom and, you know, pretend like he's doing well enough in life. Um, but he's uh, actually like pickpocketing people um, and swindling like like I don't want to say swindle all the time. <laughs> I gotta think of, think of another word. <laughs> um, he's basically just like playing the elderly up to get their money, and um, he tries to pickpocket this. Uh, who's is Laurent French? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this French guy that's like is like a tourist in Japan. So he tries to like steal his wallet and stuff, and it goes um, really wrong. And Edamora ends up uh, on a plane with Laurent, going back to wherever Laurent is because you know he has the money that he wants. Yeah, so they go to so they go to this um, this like really fancy rich people mansion in L.A. and um, they're trying to sell. Laurent is an is actually like uh, a con artist himself um and for edamora to get the money back that he wanted or like to get his wallet back or whatever um he has to pretend to be a doctor to sell uh drugs to this crazy rich millionaire that is like trying to invest in like a new kind of drug that he can sell behind the scenes because like what is he like a businessman or a politician or something um He's a film producer yeah okay movie, yeah a movie film. producer or, on movie producer on paper drugs. drug dealer yeah. in practice yes yeah which like you know i'm sure all of them are drug <laughs> like, distributor like that's say. pretty yeah. accurate <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they're trying to sell this um this new this new drug called like Sakura Drops, and um, they have a team of people that uh, are con artists with Laurent, and um, uh, 
they try to sell this like crazy drug to this film producer uh and shit goes down it gets crazy yeah i, I was actually kind of i w- i believed it at first i was like oh these are this drug must be insane. Yeah, I was like, like what? The speed or what? I was like, okay, this looks like that <laughs> the classic Japanese hard candy. That that can't actually be drugs though. Yeah, Abigail takes it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Short hair. Were they referencing Fast Times at Richmond High when she's like swimming in the red the red <laughs> bathing suit? Oh, maybe. She comes out of the water. Hi, Brad. You know how cute I always thought you were. Yeah, I, I definitely did not see through. So the the drug being fake, I saw through, but the FBI stuff did not see that coming. So basically all of these characters, so there's Edamora, he's the Japanese uh, character. They've got Abigail, um, Cynthia, Lawrence, um, and uh, later on you get introduced to another, a couple other people um, that have been like floating around in the the con sphere. Um, uh, But those, those characters usually assume some kind of like role that is really outrageous, like FBI agent or... Like, uh, mm-hmm. Cynthia is like what a hooker at some point. As part of her role, yeah. Or... As part of her role, she's like she's like a hot. She's like this hot thing that is trying to like swoon over this like crazy man. But anyway, they all all, all of them assume these crazy um, crazy roles, and none of them act like they know each other when they are conning whoever is in question. But they, when they stay in character and stick to the script, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bit. It reminds me of like the Oceans movies, yes, mm-hmm. just big heist movies, mm-hmm. caper films. I think mm-hmm. I feel like that's where this all stems from. Mm-hmm. But the the twist is that um, instead of like stealing one large item that's of high value, it's sort of it's usually like cash money, like money or. It's a, to to get to a bigger goal, you know. It's yeah. Like a stepping. Um. So each step to one. Each person that they are trying to con money out of, they try to con more money out of the next person. So they start with kind of like a small amount, and they get the the um, the prize. And then the next time they're like, oh well, this person is even more rich, and they are even more terrible than the last person. So let's try and get even more of their money. And I think a lot of their prize money that they use to swindle the next, uh, the next person. So they're not, it's not like they're like coming out extremely rich and they don't have to like work anymore. There's like a a point in which they, use their money for the next con mm-hmm. and uh, they have to like then gain even more money because they're using to- more money than what they have planned to con these people out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they could have just quit and been rich if they wanted to. Well, I think Cynthia, Cynthia could have because, you know, she's just naturally rich, but um, <laughs> but at both Abigail, Edamura, and uh, Laurent, I feel like are characters that um, have come from nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so Cynthia, Cynthia came from nothing. Cynthia was a, a, you know, kind of the the 
stereotypical starving artist, you know, an actress trying to make her way and working as a waitress and married to a, a, a poor, another poor artist, you know, painter trying to in, find his yeah, way through. Only in that one arc though, before, before that she, she bought the Island that they return to all the time. That's her, her Island. Yeah. She's rich now. I thought but she was she, rich before. I thought that she was playing a part for that. And that's why it was so sad. No, she wasn't playing the part of the the poor, um, struggling actress in order to get close to the painter. That was that was just her her backstory. You know, she got she and she because she got she got rich from she started as the poor struggling um, actress and couldn't get a job as an actress, so she entered into the world of con. And trying to make money off being a con artist. That was when she tries to swindle um, Lauren in the bar, and when Lauren's scouting her, and Lauren mm-hmm. is like, "Yeah, I mean, you're good enough. I can, I can build you up from here." So he takes her under her wing, and that's what she, she, you know, she gets rich from doing the con stuff with Lawrence. And I, I have to imagine. Lauren and I mean, we we know that Cynthia is rich because she owns a small island, and she specifically states, you know, they're all on the small island partying, and she specifically tells Edamora, "This is my island. I own it." Um, but I would assume that Lawrence and Abigail are equally rich. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't be because they all got rich together. Well, that's the thing about the show is sort of the <laughs> after a while, you don't know what is real, what's not, like what's what's acting and what's not acting. Yeah, but. But yeah, like the flashbacks and the backstories really like flesh out these characters. Um, and like overall, I feel like at first I wasn't, I liked the first episode a lot. And then by like the middle of this first season, I wasn't crazy about it. I liked it, didn't love it at first. Mm. I feel but like by the, by the second season, I was, I was like, yes, this is, it's, it's well-written. I um I think that if you're invested in uh, whatever thing that they are involved in, like the first arc is, you know, a Hollywood film producer and drugs. The second arc is uh, an art um, art critic. And the third one is uh, the planes, the air race. So like if you're invested in those kinds of things, I feel like you would be invested in that arc, but I think it's very situational to the arc cuz like I wasn't in like I guess like Hollywood stuff is kind of okay for me, but um I wasn't really invested in the flying the planes. Uh it didn't really hit with me. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but um I was super invested in the art theft. Yeah, you arc, were texting arc. us about it. Yes, because that is Yeah. Man, we can get into it later, but my God. <laughs> now get into it. Let it all out. No, I don't. I'm, I'm going to spoil it. We got to not spoil it. Uh, yeah. Kind of spoil, like, <laughs> Dan, is, Dan you... is writhing in his seat because he can't spoil anything. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Um, well, let's, I mean, it's just, I really feel like let's, let's just give our opinions on what we thought about the show. And, you know, like, yeah, I, what do you I, think? I, I thought... <coughs> It was it was clearly great from a technical aspect. The art style really stood out. The colors are popping. Uh, Op and Ed are yeah thoughtful and expressive. Yes, I do agree that they are thoughtful. I did not enjoy them though. 
Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at for for this show as a whole. Like, yeah, I recognize the the technical merits of this and that it is, yeah, thoughtful. It's well constructed, uh, but it just didn't emotionally resonate with me for the most mm. part. And and part of that is just lacking of the basic things that I enjoy, which are like, yeah, fighting spirit, giant robots, big love stories, the apocalypse, uh, ninjas, and and samurai and shit got none of those so it's it's a little bit um beyond some of my scope you but didn't like the uh the love story, love be- story between Laurence and dorothy or uh, between cynthia and the art guy yeah those, those were big love stories i felt like yeah i did well yes i did enjoy those are the parts of the show that i enjoyed the most mm-hmm. but they did not the, the the show is not really about that stuff, you know, as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, and it, it, so it's not to say that I did not find this an enjoyable viewing experience. I, I did. I mean, it's a great show. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, it does have um, its moments that, that hit me. But overall, I mean, I, I wouldn't watch it again. You know, I wouldn't go mm-hmm. back to it. Um, if there was more, like a third, you know, more story arcs, I probably wouldn't watch them. Mm. Yeah, um, oh see i'm i would because i'm already two seasons invested i'd be like damn i gotta i gotta keep up i gotta <laughs> keep up with it yeah that's fair <laughs> um i really I, enjoyed it but um i do have like it's definitely not something that i would normally pick to watch um i keep i feel like i'm a broken record when i say this because i say this in the berserk episode too but like if i wanted to watch a grand heist i would probably watch a live action version mm more than I would watch an anime version. But with that said, I feel like Great Pretender does what it does extremely well. And I think it's super engaging, um, especially with um, uh, trying to figure out who, who is the best swindler of, you know, the, of the game, you know? Um, I also thought that parts of the storytelling were kind of confusing. And not not in the way that like oh they're trying to get you because it's you know a great pretend and you as the audience are equally fooled as the characters on the screen and they really got you. I mean that 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 stuff uh, is all fine and dandy. There were other parts of the storytelling that I was confused about, um, and I don't know. I, I guess they're technically spoilers, so we'll have to come back to them. I I also felt like as a as a yeah con story as a great pretend story, mm, there were parts of it that were too like too nicely wrapped up with a little bow, and it was not not that it was not not that I think it was bad for being unrealistic because obviously this is supposed to be like a kind of larger than life. Um, unrealistic, just just for the fun and and the adrenaline of it, and that's that's cool. You know, I'm, I I found that enjoyable, but there were parts of the the like gotcha kind of feeling that just didn't. It, it seemed too tacky, or it seemed too forced for me. Mm. Um, mm. And again, I guess we'll get into those once we really start talking about the show. You know. What do you think about it, Jeffrey? Because since it was your pick. Um, I expected a little bit more. I think I expected, um, and I said this before and I don't want to be a broken record, but like that, the fact that it was geared towards an, a U.S. Western audience, mm. I don't know if I feel like that's true a little bit in this show, mm-hmm. 
but well, yeah, because it's, sort of, um, it's supposed to be international. Yeah, because show. they're they're dealing with you know Hollywood film producers and like mm. London art critics and uh, Singaporean plane flyers. Like <laughs> they were they yeah. were Emiratis. Okay, Emiratis. <laughs> I'm dumb over here. No, Thanks, no, Dan. no. You're not. You're not dumb. No. The, I'm not going to talk about either of those. I'm sorry. I'm ever sorry. Again in my life, I, they, I just, I, I just remembered because I've been to UAE and been to Singapore. Singapore, my name's Dan. I've been all over the world. I'm so cultured. They, they said that these are, they were Emirati princes that got banished from the UAE and had, they had to hide out. You know, they hang out in Singapore. Okay, so explain that to me, like I'm four. So they're from this country in the Middle East, and they got booted for, for whatever reason, and then they moved to Singapore. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to explain UAE to me. and The United Arab Emirates? Okay, yeah. That's a small country in the uh, Middle East. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Dope. Anyway, um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> just overall, like, I think what they tried to accomplish, they did well. You know, if if the what they're out if they were out to set out to create a Netflix show that would appeal to a large audience, they did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would recommend this show to anyone who just is any mildly interested in anime. They could watch this, I think, and I think you get could, something out of it. Maybe. Yeah, I think you could show it to your parents. Like I know my dad would probably like it. He doesn't like anime, but he definitely mm-hmm. likes heist movies. So I feel like he would really like. It. Yeah, I mean, it's got fucking Freddie Mercury singing at the end. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any anime that's had someone that big as a closing opening. Mm. Um, Interesting point. Yeah. I, and they the paid jazz, a lot of money for that license. <laughs> they must have. Yeah, they got the Netflix money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you money. think that's a, a result of Netflix money? I think so. Oh, absolutely. Netflix doesn't give a shit how much debt they're in. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I you know, I, they had Franz Ferdinand in uh, Paradise Kiss, but Franz Ferdinand is not nearly as well-known as well, that and Franz Queen Ferdinand. or Freddie Mercury. Yeah, well, and Franz Ferdinand wasn't uh, as well-known as they are now back when Paradise Kiss acquired it. Because mm. <laughs> I used to listen to Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, I like you know I like the opening for like the first two three times. It was okay, you know I got the bebop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, style I think that, song. I think that's why I was just like, oh okay, I get where you're coming from. Skip. <laughs> <laughs> I know the vibes and you're putting out. Skip. Yeah, I did. I would to like to at. say though, I did not skip any BNA song ever. So don't come at me because I skipped Great Pretender. BNA is fucking fire. Yeah, so let's get into the nitty gritty. All right, this is this is your spoiler warning. You are entering spoiler territory. Yeah, finally, we um, really talk about this show. Yeah, we will put a timestamp in uh, in post. You can go to. So the things that I found <laughs> confusing about this show were all in the last season. I thought that Edamora was the grandson of the um, of the the head of Suzaku organization 
and that um, Oz, Edamore's dad, was the runaway son of the um, the the grand of of the woman that is the head of Suzaku organization, and I guess that that is not true. And in retrospect, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely clear why I spent several episodes thinking that or thinking that that was going to be revealed at any moment. Well, she had a son that uh, left the family, and she was devastated about it. Um, and she saw a bit of her son in Edinburgh, so he, yeah. she takes him under her wing. But it, they weren't related. Yeah, I guess I was... I, In retrospect, I, I, I must have believed that Edamora was familiarly related to her because they brought up the story of the runaway son, and I couldn't figure out why they would even mention that unless it was relevant directly to you know Edamora's relationship to her. But you're right that that you it know is. what they were really tra- yeah <laughs> it, exactly it, exactly it it's is just, directly related. Yeah, exactly that that mm-hmm. this is you know it's not a it's it's an emotional bond rather than a familial mm-hmm. one. So that was mm-hmm. that was just my well, that misunderstanding. And, um she was she was looking for someone to take over the company. And she thought that Edamura would have been the person that would, was going to do that. Yeah. That's why she was kind of grooming him. She was like, you know, come live here, move right. your stuff right, right. in. Like, I'm, I'm, I like your coffee. You need you will, to make me yeah. coffee every day. You're gonna, you're gonna be the new head of the company. You're gonna um, learn how to track. I've never seen so many. I've never seen so much pour over in an anime Hell series. Hell yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Even Well, I guess uh, you guys didn't watch Uzaki, but they did a lot of pour overs in Uzaki. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess he's going to learn how to t- smuggle children by pouring coffee and being this woman's butler. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Man. So that part was confusing to you, Dan? Like, what, what was your favorite, um, what was our favorite arcs then? Yeah. Like, did that ruin it for you? No, it, 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 it didn't ruin it for me. I, I okay. when I when I think of the things that kind of ruined it, it was the way you know. For example, the ending of the last arc, where all the other characters that got swindled all come together and help our crew in in swindling the uh, the Japanese and Chinese mafia and just do it for the paycheck and basically forgive Laurent. And they're all like, Oh, actually we've all been friends, you know, this whole time. You just didn't know that we had these personal connections lurking beneath the surface. And I, I thought it was too neat and Ask tidy. Please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I understand, and I understand that there's, there's a level of emotional gratification to that and a level of unexpectedness that, you know, like I, I get why, um, somebody, you know, the people writing the show thought that that was a good idea, and and I don't want to mm. dispute that. It just didn't mm-hmm. for me and my personal taste. It it was one step too far. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel that as well. Like, why would why would someone that why would all like one person, but also all of the people that you've swindled in the past come back and help you? But I kind of understand, you know, like I kind of understand it in a sense of like if they are trying to swindle literally the Chinese and the Japanese mafia, like that's a fuck ton of money. Yeah. And and any anyone would probably want a slice of that pie. You know what I mean? 
so I get it in that sense. For me, it didn't, uh, it didn't work because like, and I've read things about the ending of Great Pretender where people are saying that, um, the entire, the entire story up until that point was just to groom Edamame into being um, into being a really good swindler so that he can do it on his own and kind of like t- pass the torch along um, mm. to the next group of people because these people are, you know, getting old and, you know, whatever. Um, for me, I had to rewatch the last two episodes because I could not understand how the um, the people that were getting swindled got off, like got onto an island <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And then, like, so this the last episode, the second to the last episode is, like, the actual grand heist and the finale of the whole, like, second um, second season. And then the episode after that is, like, almost an exact retelling, except for they reveal exactly how they did everything. Yeah, yeah. And This is very much like an Oceans movie. Yeah. They do that. Yeah, and I was really confused. I was like, wait, I just literally watched this episode why am I watching it again? Why? Like I was so confused. Yeah. But they pull the, pull the curtain back as you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I really, uh, uh, I, I think one of the things that I disliked about the series and this is, pr- I, li- I liked it well enough. And this is probably only really like my real gripe with the series is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, Laurent and Dorothy who we meet, um, they have like a love connection and, um, she, uh, supposedly dies in one of their um in one in what they were considering like their last heist like they were gonna like retire and like move in with each other and just live out their lives together as a happy couple um but the last uh con goes super wrong and it looks like dorothy dies where other people die they take them to the ship and then they like shoot them Mm -hmm. or whatever um so Mm uh the last the final scene is um dorothy like at home in ethiopia with her parents um, and she's alive and well and knows that, um, Laurent is alive and well and like still doesn't want to like go and talk to him. And I really did not need for her to be alive because the whole thing about the series is, um, when these people are getting swindled and when they get caught and it looks like they've gotten caught and they are like getting executed on this ship that they fly into the ocean and you know they sink and they're dead but they always come back and that's the that's the great pretend is that they always come back to swindle somebody else um uh, and i think nothing really goes as far extreme as the heist with dorothy um so for them for the series to bring dorothy back at the end i kind of just like was like okay yeah we get it nobody dies yeah nobody dies in any of this but at the same time like it's been literal like years since that happened like i just don't get why you would want to show me her and that she's alive and well and not want to go and be with Lawrence. well she, seemed- she's got amnesia i don't believe that she has amnesia Hmm. that part went over my head i yeah that's so she so um she's in she's in china with two adopted chinese parents and they're speaking to her in Mm. chinese and she doesn't remember who she is when she's conversing with these two chinese people that's why she's like oh i had had uh, she's in she's in china she's because they picked her out of the sea they picked her out of the south china sea And yeah. And so that's why when she talks to these two people and she's like, Oh, I remembered I was the secretary of the CEO. Oh, I remembered I was, I was, uh, this other thing. Oh, I I remembered I was, uh, you know, a, a, 
millionaire tycoon, real estate tycoon or whatever. She's having kind of residual memories of all of her cons and all of these personas that she's played over the years. But because of her amnesia, she can't remember what was real and what wasn't. It's all just kind of this, this big mixture in her mind. And she, she definitely doesn't remember Laurent. I mean, if she was going to remember Laurent, uh, I, I feel like she, that that ring, you know, she would have remembered something regarding the ring, but she just puts the ring on her finger, which previously it was on a necklace. Mm-hmm. Um, but this I... time she puts it on her finger and she's like, oh, this looks really nice. So I, I think what is trying to be communicated to us is that she still has kind of the same personality, but none of the memories, you know, she oh. still appreciates the ring and is still oh. the same person. Um, which we think is a good thing, but yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't remember. I took that as she does remember everything. She's telling, you know, the Mm. parents about it and she knows like what she could be doing, but she doesn't want that life anymore. Good. Uh, she a good side character. You guys think? Yes. Like there was a lot of side (laughs) characters in the show. Yes. But I I agree. It, It, I also thought the, uh, that, that epilogue scene with Dorothy, unnecessary i would have been better off without it yeah hmm. it was cooler when she died and lauren mm-hmm. was the the tragic um, yes widow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh we, you asked about our favorite scenes but then we said what we hated so <laughs> <laughs> yeah favorite like art yeah arcs and scenes mm-hmm. you know like I can talk about the art, the art scene, the arc. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear you talk about the art. (sighs) Oh my god, the um, (laughs) art theft arc is exactly the reason why I don't want to do art anymore in a gallery slash like non-commercial setting. Um, So, basically, in the art arc, there's a prolific, prominent. art critic who has a keen eye to see um to figure out if a painting is real or not and you know he's revered he he's got you know he, he's known all over the world um and people know him like walking down the street um and he goes into uh there's like this painting that's been found apparently and um the painting is like a lost painting of some crazy artist and uh he goes into a museum to see or like a gallery to see like if which which painting he wants to buy and he find and he sees this like this uh painting that has been lost through time and he looks at it and he's like I'll you guys are charging like way too not enough money for this uh but uh, I'll take it um because he knows like what what the painting actually is um and he just needs to like confirm the um validity of it and um then there's like an uh what happens after that they go into an art auction um and he they're like selling off all these like paintings um and we get introduced to cynthia and her um this like uh, like street artist that basically replicates uh, masterwork paintings um, to sell as souvenirs and um, the art critic finds this guy and is like oh like you're really good at replicating paintings so let me have you replicate this one so that I can sell it for a buttload of buttload of money but like I can have the actual real one uh, in my possession and the whole swindle for that for that arc is um, Edamura uh, 
sees this painting in this French restaurant that slash boarding house that he's like living at in France um, after the last swindle. Um, and uh, he's like, well, if I can sell this painting for you, like it can make a lot of money. It's like a lost painting. Like, you know, I can sell it and it'll help you keep the boarding school open and, you know, your restaurant or whatever. Um, so he sells it, but then realizes that it's like this masterwork painting and he could have sold it for like millions of dollars. Um, uh, and uh, so they go to the art auction um, and Edimer is like uh, an auctioneer in it and he um, switches out the real painting with the fake painting um and yeah so this whole thing is about art theft <laughs> and one person dictating an entire like art movement or like uh, an art scene like the only reason why this painting is so revered is because this one person says that it's real and it's um something that like you struggle with as an artist you know like um i feel like there's so much value on the object mm. and it doesn't matter how good the painting actually is or like what the context of the painting is it's just like if a specific person says that your work is valid uh -huh. Uh -huh. um mm. which really like uh, grinds my gears so much <laughs> yeah fuck james coleman yeah the him. damn asshole. Fuck him. Just like, like you first meet him and he's getting that sushi. And he's just like. He's just a smug going off asshole. On the chef. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is basically all of the art world, if in case you wanted to know. Um, and this is why I only want to do commercial art now. <laughs> you know, art for myself. Anime titties forever. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, this story arc made me reflect on a... Um, an experience that I had, which I'd kind of forgotten about, but I was actually approached about bootlegging the first lip cream seven inch. And if I would volunteer my original one as the, uh, the basis of making a run of bootlegs, this was when I was in college. Um, but I, yeah, I turned it down and said, no, nah, I don't really want to do that. Cause I, I think bootlegging punk records is kind of fucked up, but yeah, that's the limit of my experience with the world of bootlegs, mm. but it's yeah. uh bootlegging anything is pretty fucked up, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and I I kind of <laughs> I understand how bootlegs are I understand the angle that bootlegs are an expression of fan, you know, enthusiasm yes. and mm -hmm. ideation. Mhm. Mm is there a different kind of bootleg than trying to do the straight replication, which is what these people were, were trying to get, get at me for not mm -hmm. that they were going to pass these off as original, you know, lip cream first seven inches and try to sell them for 200 bucks a pop. It was just like, yeah, we just want to make like 500, you know, exact replication of the first seven inch and just, you know, sell them like mm -hmm. normal and just rake in the money because people will want to buy it because of our fetishization of physical product. Mm. And yeah, I think that kind of bootlegging, yeah, maybe is justifiable in in a pre-internet age. You know, depending on on the scale and and the the pricing that you're using. But in the post-internet age, there's no reason for any of this. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you're a big fan, make a fucking website, put it online. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's no no reason to waste the Earth's resources on 
you know, on, on making physical products in, in such a way. Mm. So the art, yeah. the art auction arc was, was my favorite arc because I was very invested in it, but it also made me super angry. Yeah. Angry at who? In the fucking art world. Just the, the bureaucratic element. Yeah. Like, you know, just like, who the fuck are you to say if a painting is good or not? You know what I mean? Like, I know that there are formal elements that make something good, but you know, yeah. And I know we're dealing, yeah. I know we're dealing with like, with like master painters. We're dealing with like Picasso's and, you know, um, Renoir's and whatever. Like, I get that that's what that is about, but it just like, you know, being in that world for a little bit, like you, it, it happens with every form of art. It doesn't matter what kind it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the art the art of critique is in a very strange place within the last ten to fifteen years because of the rise of the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I think this applies most directly to music above all other mediums because now you can hear all music at your fingertips and make your own decisions about it. Mm-hmm. And so, what is the point of you know, critical review and music critics and whatnot. Like you can just make up your own mind about whatever it is you want to hear. You don't need anyone to kind of shuffle through it and tell you what's good or not and, and mm-hmm. tell you, um, you know, what you're going to like and, and what mm-hmm. you won't. And in some ways I, I draw from this, the exact opposite that the deluge of information and the overwhelming amount of access that we have now means that critic critical appraisal and critical discussion is even more important because there's no way you could listen to everything. So you want people to tell you specifically like what's good, what isn't. So it's, it's a better, so it's about efficiency, you know, but mm, this does not seem to be a, a, a popular viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of this convention or you can call it an event convention. It was a, basically a sale of reproductions of uh, popular works. And you can go into this. It was held in the hotel. And you go in there and you could just buy from dozens, dozens and dozens of replicas. But it's like, who's getting the money for this? Yeah. Like, is there, obviously, the artist is dead. So mm-hmm. And it, de- uh, it devalues the first work, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You think so? Yeah, because it, it the it's one thing for like a museum to have it for people to like come and look at and, and appreciate, and it's one thing for a private collector to have it in their collection. But when it can be in the hands of everyone, like, what's the point of the original at that point? Other than being the first, yeah, I, I think the 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 point of the original is the uh, the historical context and and the. Yeah, I think the historical context is the the biggest selling point of why you would want to have the original. Mm-hmm. But you know, you could have if you like. I get that like people can't afford original paintings. Like I get that, especially yeah. from master painters. But uh, you know, it's just like <sighs> makes me feel things. <laughs> yeah. But now you can just go and order a disc plate with this. Yeah, I could just go artwork. order a pillow off of Society <laughs> Six. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, you can get your favorite Van Gogh off Target as a as a plate. You know? Yeah, but I, I don't necessarily think. I mean, 
I guess the argument could be made that the kind of capital capitalism style exploitation of all this art is a bad thing and that it sucks money away from the artists themselves and into these large corporations that just take advantage of the culture around them. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a bad thing. But I also think the the democratization of art in this way that everyone has access to this kind of stuff I think is a good thing, you know, that like if you are like because as you say Amelia like ain't no average person buying original Van Goghs. No, but an average but, person could go to a museum and appreciate it. Yeah, or you could just buy a poster print and hang it up in your home. Yeah, know? why wouldn't yeah, buy a poster print? Why are you purchasing a replica? Oh well, okay. I guess and I didn't, I guess also, I didn't consider the idea that when we when we think of the replicas, yeah, that's a more intensive uh, type of thing than the poster print. Yeah. Yeah, it's like because someone studies the painting and then replicates it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm thinking it, and not specifically for masterworks and art theft for masterworks, but just like, uh, you know, like if you were to go to a New York gallery and like you have to like swoon over these like rich people to sell yourself, it's not even selling your painting, it's selling like an idea of something um, to these people that will in turn give you so much money. But like uh, the only the only deciding factor is if someone else thinks that your painting is good enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and at, at the, the truth, right? Like things are worth, you know, what someone else is willing to pay for them. Yeah. Yeah, which is why that character Thomas has to resolve. Like he can't survive on just selling his paintings on the street. Yeah. Even though he's so talented and like he's a great artist, mm-hmm. but he has to resort to the, to this guy James Coleman giving him a job. Yeah, and he makes a shit ton of money, out. you know, and he sells his soul, yeah, so can, and it fucks up his relationship with Cynthia because of it. <laughs> you know, it's just like. Yeah. Mm. If I were Thomas, and I was in that position, but I'd do that. I don't know. I can't Probably say not, I. W- but I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I don't know. I don't because know. Because the goal, do. the goal usually of an artist is to be famous, or at least to make enough money off of the work that you're making that you can survive. You know, the the stigma is that we are always starving, but you know, when you get your one break, and for him. I wouldn't really consider it a break because he is just copying works. So it's not like he's like putting his heart and soul into paintings that he is like creating. So he's just literally copying things. But, um, you know, you always hope for that. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. Mm. Yeah. It's, well, it's a, uh, it's a black market job. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily an expression or a creative endeavor. It's mm-hmm. just, just professional work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna stick to making anime stickers and streetwear. <laughs> uh, so I guess the swindler, the swindler getting swindled, is sort of a big takeaway. I think out of this one. Mm-hmm. So fuck this guy. Yeah. I don't feel bad about Me it. Me either. He's a fucking little fucking baby. Go cry to your <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Treat the- like shit. I you know. Treat like shit. You fucking asshole. And that was that was an interesting part about the Great Pretender is that it pulls no punches. You know yeah. the uh, the 
awkward relationship dynamics between this guy James and and his current girlfriend is like damn dude that that's fucked up you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of a surprisingly large amount of screen time to child trafficking which was like wow heavy you know that's yeah, some shit especially <laughs> especially when like a human trafficking has gone up since covid mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, if and I was planning I, on that, but that made me super uncomfy. I was I was a little surprised by, or or rather, I was confused by the manner in which um, Oz, uh, Edamora's father, got arrested for human trafficking. Was he or was he not involved? Like I, I at first, you're so, and and the reason, the reason, part of the reason I I thought this was framed really weird within the show is that. They, when we are first introduced to Edimer's father as a concept, this is this is within the first like two episodes, and Edimura is inadvertently caught up in a a con company, right? He's selling these bogus health products, except Edimura doesn't actually know they're bogus because he's young and naive, and he thinks that these are legitimate health products that he's selling to people, and the way that they sell them is a little. You know, a little conned up, but the product, of course, is is just fine. Um, of course, that's not the case, and the company gets busted, and other tertiary tertiary characters and people around him are like, oh, you know, like father, like son. Your father was a con artist, and you two are a con artist. And Edamora goes, yeah, you know, my dad was a con artist. What else am I to do with my life except be a con artist myself? I should just embrace, you know, my family lineage. So it's okay. Edamora's dad is a con artist. And then a couple episodes later, a couple story arcs later, you see that Edamura's dad was arrested for human trafficking. It's like, yo, that that's different than being a con artist, man. Like these are, mm-hmm. these are mutually exclusive things, you know, like I, I that like what the people look like when everyone's telling Edamura in the first couple episodes, like father, like son, it was like, dude, that that's, do they really think that he's a human trafficker? Like it, it is just so brutal. And I, yeah, I understand. I know you're about to say something, Amelia, that I'm taking this too literally. And I, I get no, that, no, 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 no. I, I just, I, I found this. Uh, yeah, I found that to be so bizarre. Like who, who is dragging the human trafficking father into this to be like, oh, you know, you're just a, you're a con artist, just like your dad that trafficked young children into the country. You're like, oh my good lord, man, there's a big, big gap here, big gap. Uh, um, but and then and then he didn't actually do the human trafficking. He just like signed up to this organization and then intentionally got himself busted so that the Chinese mafia couldn't seek retribution against him because he was in prison. But that also raises questions to me, like. Why wouldn't the Chinese mafia be able to get you in prison? It's the fucking mafia. That's how, isn't that how this shit works? <laughs> but I, I, you know, it, I don't necessarily expect, uh, uh, expect great pretender to answer all of these questions. Cause I get that it's like a bit above and beyond reality. But, okay. So I think that I think a lot of 
the questions that you have were answered in the in the second season. I think this suffers from like having two season of uh, having us able to watch two seasons at once because we get the full circle. But um, the first season didn't answer any of those questions. Mm-hmm. You didn't even get to his dad in the uh, in mm-hmm. the first one. So you are you are led to believe that maybe um, I guess it's up to interpretation that he knew or didn't know because um, uh, because. Um, Edamura knew that the faucets that he was selling the the water purifiers weren't really doing anything. Um, so we get that. So you, you kind of get a sense of like, oh, if he was a lawyer, like he could have known because he is a lawyer and obviously he has to look at the books and look at the paperwork for all yeah. of these, for the company. Um, but the fact that he, the fact that he was actually a part of the chinese mafia in the end i feel like he he definitely knew and that he just had an opportunity that he couldn't pass up because with a lot of the characters in this series they don't make enough money to to flaunt their lifestyle that they want to have like um and you know edamura is always struggling to um to have more money which is why he cons people and you know uh, I feel like it's just one of those things where like they feel very hopeless in the situations that they're in. And the only way that they think they can get out of it is to do these terrible things or like quote unquote terrible things. Like, yes, human trafficking is absolutely terrible, but like is pickpocketing like terrible? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it starts, it starts with like the baby step and then it escalates to the extremes. It starts with a young girl offering grandma her water bottle. Yeah. Escalates to grandma just taking that water bottle and drinking <laughs> the whole thing and saying, fuck you, this is mine now. Yo, bitch, that was a gift. You gave me the gift of water. <laughs> that's what that, so that's what Tokyo Magnitude's all about. Shit. Yes. It's just a huge swindle. <laughs> there is no boat. There is no boat. <laughs> oh, I thought that I think that the dad didn't know at that point in time, but because he had to go to jail for it. And when he went to jail, the Chinese mafia was like, oh, hey, bitch, I saw that you did that thing on the on the news. So you're bad enough. You, ha- you have a reputation now. There's no going back to your old life. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to give you all the money that you need. You can send it off to your wife. You know, I know she's in the hospital, but uh, you can't ever go back to your family um, and he like accepts it. He's like, yeah, mm. okay. <laughs> I was actually kind of crazy surprised that um, Edamura actually pulled the trigger when the time came um, because Oz flip flops from, you know, the Chinese mafia to the Japanese mafia. And he is kind of playing like a double swindler agent. And, uh, mm. and really, I think probably what drives Great Pretender is how many people like um pretend in front of Edamura and don't tell him exactly what's going on so it yeah. makes the situations that yeah. he's going through specifically ex- like like very investing to me because like he doesn't know that his dad is working with Laurent the whole time and he just thinks his dad is just this fucking dick of a man and if i knew that in, in that same situation i would have pulled the fucking trigger way earlier than he did but like it's like mm-hmm. it's like that like i feel so bad for him man people just keep like pulling the rug out from yeah. him and he's just like and he he takes every single situation with like 
grace, I feel like, at least <laughs> as much grace as you can have in those situations. Right. Um, be, oh, hmm. poor Edamura, man. Like, I don't know if I could trust everyone again after certain situations, after, like, you know, the dad thing. And, you know, I don't know. Mm. I just feel like why, like, why can't he be in the loop? You know, and I know that a lot of it is acting and, you know, they need to play the characters and, you know, he's new to the group and they don't trust him to act in the way that he's supposed to act. But we see everyone in in every arc of this of this show, like, slip up at some point. <laughs> So I don't understand why they're not letting him in on all of this. Like, yeah. you know, Cynthia slips up. Um, Dorothy slips up, obviously. Um, Abigail slips up, you know. There's, like, all of these things that these characters have, this, like, baggage that they're bringing in. And, uh, you know, sometimes the swindle is is too much for them to handle. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Abby, what a great character. And I, yeah, I, I was mm-hmm. waiting for Abby and Edamara to really solidify their uh, romantic undertone, but uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Sad. I didn't really care. I didn't really <laughs> care one way or another for the for those two. Honestly, I was super invested in Cynthia, though. I was like, "Man, girl, you yeah. got it, girl, you got it." And then he was like, "Nah, I'm gonna go get a lot of money." And I was like, "Damn it, Cynthia, I'm so sad for you." Yeah, I, th- I thought maybe Cynthia would get back together with the artist by the end of the London arc, but I guess you not. Know, you know. But why is Edamora the only one not getting any butt, any booty, any ass? You know, because he's a virgin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? That's what they said. He's a virgin, right? He's a pure, he's a pure uh, hearted character. Yeah. The typical Japanese, in typical Japanese fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and speaking, yeah, I, Edamura's, uh hobby of the capsule toys I thought was very cool. And Ooh, very great, relatable to me. Great use of kind of in-story foreshadowing mm. and, and building ambiance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really nice touch. Abs- yeah, I really love that he gave his mom a cat and then also gave uh, the Japanese mafia lady yeah, a cat as well. Which, which again, I, I thought I, I interpreted that as supposed to be hinting that the mom was like related, like he was giving it's metaphorical, her the cat. Dan. Yeah, yeah, I guess it <laughs> is a metaphorical yeah. gesture. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 the replacement. She's mm-hmm. she's the replacement and. And as, just as much as he is a replacement for her, mm-hmm. yeah, have that bond. Yeah. Would you Would you take over the like? Damn, man, human trafficking. It's just Fuck fucked that. up. It's so <laughs> fucked up. And the it, poor kids were like, no, because like we we were already given up. There's already no reason for us to live anyway. So what's the point if we escape with you? Yeah, like, I thought that fucking was fucking brutal. I thought my that was dudes. crazy. Like if if you so if if you and I. I if I were to go and bust out kids from a human trafficking situation and they wouldn't go, honestly, I would just leave them behind. Uh, Real damn. Save yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to be saved, I can't force you yeah. to save yourself. Like if in in that situation, I would prioritize my safety and Abby's safety over the safety of these little mm-hmm. kids that can't figure out that this is a big chance to escape. I feel like I would have planted someone in the um, in the auction for that. 
to just bid on every single person, mm. every child to get them out. So then they would have thought that they were getting like enslaved somewhere else, but you know, you were taking them to like paradise or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Shoot You're them up giving with them that, a better life. Shoot them up with that spinal fluid and let them wander. Yeah. You know, yeah. Paradise. Drop, <laughs> drop them, drop them onto paradise, you know, yeah. let them go. <laughs> it's an attack on Titan reference. If you guys haven't been watching the fourth season. So if you, if you worked for a company and discovered that they were, doing human trafficking what would you do well i think the thing about this is that he couldn't get out of it because of his reputation because he went to jail uh for Mm. other things and the company had him like sign a thing you know you sign the thing and then you're like bound to them for life so it doesn't even matter because they know who you are and they know your name they know where you live so they're just going to come after you anyway so in that situation I would hopefully would be able to leave, but in but I don't think I don't think anyone would let you leave. Yeah, would yeah, they would they let you leave? Too deep. That's a big question in my mind because I like you know, and I I get this is why I'd be a bad criminal because I feel like you know my I'm a trustworthy guy. I've, you know, my my word is bond. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. If I tell you that I'm not going to squeal, then that should be good enough because you should be able to trust me. I'm an honest guy. So if I found out that a company was human, that my company was human trafficking, I would definitely be like, I'm sorry, I'm very uncomfortable with this. I I'd really, I'm, I want to quit. You know, and I'm not. I ain't. I ain't snitching. So you don't got to, you know, cut off my hands or whatever. You know, ain't got to give me the Colombian necktie. I just, I, I just don't want to be involved. Doing, Dan's just like. He started doing smaller jobs and then he worked his way yeah. up. It wasn't just like they threw a child at, you know, a traffic yeah. child at. So I guess, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, at that point you're kind of invested. You know, you've been working there for a couple of months. You know, you got good relationships with your coworkers. And then all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> all right, we got to go here and pick up this vase. Go here and pick up this. Um, what, what's the shit that you burn that smells good? Incense. 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 Yeah, go here, pick up the incense, and all right, go here, pick up some, you know, five year olds, then go over here, pick up some <laughs> some jewelry, you know. So, oh, wait, what, 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 what? You know, Dan's like, please, please, can I leave? Thank you very much. I promise. <laughs> yeah, they I flew promise. all the way to this country, and it's like, well, we're here to do a business transaction. And just happens to be kids. Mm, yeah. The moment of shock on his on Edimer's face when he realized it's children that they're picking up, though, it's like brutal. Yeah, brutal. He was it's like, "Holy well. fuck, man! Like this is what I'm doing." Like you could tell he was like, "There's no coming back from this." Yeah. They really they pull a good swindle based purely on the power of interpreters and language difficulties. Oh, that, was, that was so really cool. Yeah. That was so cool. I very much enjoyed that. I also like that uh, Abigail was like parading around as this princess, but she was like this badass princess. And she's like, bitch, don't look at me. She's had a pretty rough backstory. Yeah. You know, losing her family and in Iraq and getting bombed. Like the whole like PTSD scenes when she's flying that airplane mm-hmm. in the race. Yeah, it was hard to watch. That was interesting. Yeah, that yeah. was brutal. Yeah. I think um, the series has a lot of uh, a lot of perspectives of different 
types of people that you don't normally see. Mm. You know, Good you point. don't. Yeah. A lot of the voice actors are also played in the um, the dub version. Are played by. I'm not going to say a direct uh, cultural background of cultural background, but they're a people of color. I thought that was interesting. Mm. That's really cool. You, yeah. As they should be. Yeah, I kept thinking. I hope. I hope there's not some white dude making up a Asian accent right now. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone? Did anyone see uh, uh, "Catch Me If You Can"? Yes, but I don't very really long, watch that movie. A very long uh, time ago. A while ago. Yeah. I was. I. Yeah, I was getting the flashbacks from that movie mm-hmm. watching this. Sort of like the that magical realism. Mm-hmm. Where you you know it's like a little too a little too far fetched to be, but even though it's based on a real story, it's just the way that it it was produced. Mm-hmm. Um. And the director for um, The Great Pretender worked on 91 Days, mm. which is about um, mm-hmm. uh, Prohibition mm-hmm. era I watched, America. I watched a few episodes of that. It's actually really good. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't started it, but, but like, heard really good things. Like a broken record, I would much rather watch that live action. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who, who was your favorite characters? Any, uh, anyone stand out? Love hated. Mm, I really love Cynthia. Cynthia's got that auto auto vibes, you know, sexy, sexy lady. Mm-hmm. I liked Abby. I thought Abby was the sexier of the two. Yeah, I was a fan of Abby as well. She was Around too soon for me. She was like, I'm like, can <laughs> you've been with these people for quite a while now, girl? Like, you're not going to open up even just like a little bit. <laughs> No, I, I want her to punch me in the face. Oh, yeah, you like that. You like that, I want, to, I want her to degrade me. You like me. that. Call me, call me a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laurent's the playboy, so he's sort of like a Bond character. Yeah. He's like James Bond. He's um, very um, Oshino Meme to me if, from Ooh, Bakemono. Yeah. I yeah. see that. Cause he doesn't ever like he doesn't ever explicitly tell Edamura what to do or like how to be, but uh, he just like gives him little little nudges and lets him like figure it out for himself. Yeah, I, I did think it was interesting how you know, as as you described, Edamura is cast into all these situations where he's totally in the dark and everyone around him is in on the con, and they just make him kind of manipulate him into going along with the script um, unintentionally. And Laurent's backstory is exactly the same. And, you know, that that Dorothy and the older woman and Oz also kind of unintentionally or or manipulate him into unintentionally following the script over and over again Mm -hmm. and put him into these same situations. And I, I thought it was very interesting that like, oh, Laurent is not exactly hazing Edamora, but he's he's treating Edamora and building Edamora in the same exact way that he himself was introduced into the con game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that made me a lot more appreciative of of Laurent's decisions, his mindset, mm-hmm. attitude. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm still a fan of Abigail. They um, 
I did. I still wish said Abigail and Makoto, Edamora. You know, they. I wish they had formed more of a relationship, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like some of the side characters. I like that um, the character Shion Kim, Korean. Um, the older woman, woman with the short hair. Yeah, yeah. with the, I thought she was neat. Yeah, yeah, I think she was a good side character. Mm. Yeah, our, our mm. guy Kubo was very cool. Mm. I, I was very nineties. I was very appreciative of how this random, uh, slightly older guy just just kind of, you know, always happy go lucky. Always like, oh, you guys are doing a con. That's cool. I'll totally help you. You know, <laughs> this is like a very dependable guy. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the old Korean lady. Yeah, the one that he sells the water, the water spell to that he doesn't know this in on the con. She's awesome. Yeah, that's that's the that's she Yunkin. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of disguises, so I didn't I didn't realize it was her at first. Mm. Is that her name? Oh, okay, yeah, that is her name, huh? But yeah, I think overall it's a good a good watch. Uh, it's weird that the first season's fourteen episodes or fifteen, and then the second is nine episodes yeah I, I mean they they broke it up along story arc lines right I mean, mm-hmm. to me it seems mm-hmm. more clear that they gave netflix 24 episodes and netflix was like all right how do we break this into two seasons because we we want to give the audience give our customers two seasons so mm-hmm. mm. i feel like it's done i don't want to see any more of great pretender yeah, I, I feel, feel like that way too. The story's wrapped up. Yeah. It's in a nice little bow. Um, we don't need five seasons. <laughs> like, it's good to go as is. Total package. I'll buy the Blu-rays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I might go see a movie, but mm, even then, mm. like a live act, not even a live action, but like a theatrical release mm. of the next big heist. But yeah, I agree. It, it's sort of. It, it it finishes on a good note. Mm-hmm. Just leave it just leave it mm-hmm. where it is. Yeah, I don't need mm-hmm. to know where all the characters end up. Like I, I like stories where right. I can just like I can project. <laughs> so everyone recommends this? Yeah. I think definitely, absolutely. Uh, Especially if you have some time over, you know, your your holiday and you're bored, you know, you're stuck inside. Yeah, I would I would give this eight Sakura magic tricks out of five uh, out of five out of ten. <laughs> eight Sakura magic <laughs> tricks out of five. That means you really, really, really love yeah. it. Eight Sakura magic trips out of ten. I I gave it I gave it an eight on Mal. So oh, we are in is, agreement. It is very good. I did enjoy it. Um, I think that there are certain arcs that people can. If they like it, they will really enjoy it. And I think there are other things about it that people might not like. But uh, overall, I think it's got really great narrative, got really great character interactions. Like, And the heists might be a little over the top, but I feel like it works with, with, the, with the series, you know? Yeah. I'd probably give it a seven and a half, eight on Mal, maybe. Yeah. I wanted to like this show more, but... It had all, you know, it hit all the right notes. It just, mm, I just want to go watch Lupin now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's super interesting. You know, it's definitely not an, not something that is normally seen in anime. 
you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's to be said about it. At least maybe maybe uh, I'm just a little like uh, not. I don't watch this kind of anime, so I'm like, oh, this is cool because this is the only one I've seen. It's the only one in existence. But I'm sure maybe if I watch Lupins, I would like it. But you know, yeah. I, before we we totally wrap up <coughs> the soccer and magic when. Um, Abigail pops that drug and then she just goes nuts. I thought that was really funny. But I also like I mean again I get that this is not meant to be realistic but there's no fucking way that's going to work. You know like ain't nobody (laughs) else going to get high. You know That's why he had another person in on it. He did? Yeah. The one girl was like oh yeah me me me. Oh, I The blonde girl. Right. All the people that were at the pool party were part of the thing. Oh. They were in on it. I I guess I didn't totally realize that. Yeah. Maybe that's the big, I'm just thinking about it now. Maybe that's why I like Lupin so much is that it's episodic Hmm. and not so linear. Like there's not a huge connecting plot line throughout each series, except for the last one, part five. I, li- I would have liked it more, I think, if it was just like, all right, we're going to do this heist, this swindle, and then that's it. Mm, I feel like we'll I would have liked it. Swindle. I feel like I would have liked it less because I've been like, okay, I don't, I can't watch 24 episodes of, I don't care. <laughs> I <laughs> like that. Random. Yeah. Like we were talking about um, Attack on Titan and how their storytelling is kind of like a teen drama where, you know, you've got a couple situations happening at once and then everything like doubles back onto itself and Mm -hmm. wraps itself up like i like i like that kind of storytelling because uh it's not it's not like oh this is the titan that we're slaying this day this is the next titan that we're slaying this one you know it's like there's a lot of things to to take in and to to be aware of that kind of come in subconsciously that you like can pull back on when the thing wraps up i think that's probably why i like the great pretender a little bit more maybe because there is an actual overarching plot, you know, it's the 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 life mm. of Edimer and how he ends up after you know finding out that his father mm-hmm. is this way. Yeah, that's everything that I wanted to say about this show. Yeah. Go watch it. Um, so if you want to check out Great Pretender, it's on Netflix. There are two seasons out at the moment. Hopefully, that's all the things that we get of this because it is wrapped up in a super nice little bow. Um, yeah, check it out. It's uh, I feel like it's Otaku Host Club approved, I would say, if we all gave it an 8 and a 7 and an 8. Yes. <laughs> yeah, go, go watch. Go watch Dupe on the 3rd, Part 5 after this. If you're like that, if you're like Great Pretender, mm-hmm. I implore you to do that. Yeah, our next episode is on what exactly? The Promised Neverland? Yes. It's okay. our Otaku Melancholy collab. 
So uh, we had Otaku Melancholy on for the anime trivia, and me and Dan won. So me and Dan gave them a bunch of shows that they could pick from, and I believe they're picking The Promised Neverland. So that uh, is airing. The second season of Promised Neverland is airing in the next season of anime that starts uh, around like the middle of January, beginning middle of January. So, so we will watch the first season to mm-hmm. get everyone all caught up and, and hyped up ready the for the second season. Yeah. I'm going to be the manga pushing my glasses to my face because I Hell love yeah. that series Do so it. much. And I, um, uh, when the anime ended, I picked up the manga where the anime left off. So I'm completely caught up with where the series is at. Hell and yeah. I'm just like so fucking excited that everybody's going to watch Promise Neverland so I can talk about it. Hell yeah. You can answer all my questions. Yeah. Spoil me. Yeah. Spoil mm-hmm. me. Sh- oh, yeah, spoil shit. the shit out of me. I'm going to spoil <laughs> you, daddy. <laughs> um, we were also on... Talking Melancholy's Berserk episode, yes. which will be out this coming week, which is the 20... 20- it will be out by the time this episode is out. <laughs> um, so you guys should go check that out. We talk about Berserk, and it was a randy-dandy time over there. I yeah, love it was those great. guys. Mm-hmm. It was truly lovely. Yes. And we're, we're going to do a... Ta- we're recording it for the third episode of Attack on Titan Season 4, our weekly commentary, tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. We record. It's a lot of recording all in a row. But this is good yes. stuff. You yeah. know, this is what I live for, you guys. <laughs> I love hanging out <laughs> and talking with you guys about anime. It's so much nicer when I'm talking to you guys and not a camera. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. We should do um, mm-hmm. weekly A Promise Neverland. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what our schedules are going to just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. That's a lot of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because Attack on Titan is uh, still going to be running. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just Tricky. overlapping. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I just want it all. Okay. <laughs> I'm greedy. I want all of your time all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. See you in the next one. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. See you. Thank you guys so much for listening and being here. We super appreciate every single one of you that listens to our podcast every week. Join our Discord to continue the conversation and get notified when we upload new episodes. Or if you just want to hang out and chat about anime. The invite link should be in the description of whatever platform you're listening to this on as well as in our link tree of our Instagram at Otaku Host Club or on our website, www.otakuhostclub.com. We also have a voicemail box set up in case you want to call in, leave us a message, ask a question, talk about anime, let us know how your day is going, and we'll play it on the next episode. The number for that is 240-324-8295. And if you like our content, it would be super awesome if you went over to Apple Podcasts and left us a review. It's super helpful for us to get the word out. And if you do, we'll read it on air. And with that, we'll see you in the next episode.